1: Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable.
0: Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook. Or multiple free ebooks if you fancy. But now for today's show. I'm joined once again by the wonderful Ana Avila, who is a Mexican writer living in Guatemala with a background in science. She is the author of Make the Most of Your Time A Practical Guide to Honouring God with Your Day. Anna, welcome back to the show. Uh, Some of what we're going to be talking about today are the topics that you cover in your book, which is currently only available in Spanish, but it's being translated into English at some point, isn't it? Yes. Hopefully it's going
1: to be available soon.
0: Yes. And that is quite a big thing because there are often English books that are translated into Spanish, but it doesn't often happen the other way around, does
1: it? It doesn't. I'm still like... I do believe that this is going to happen, so I'm not going (laughs) to be too excited about it until I have it in my hands. (laughs) Okay, and
0: for those of us who don't speak perfectly fluent Spanish, would you give us just a little bit of a summary about you know some of the key things in your book and and why you wanted to write it?
1: Yes, this is not the book I expected to write, at least not the first book I expected to write. I've always been interested in productivity for personal reasons. I'm always striving to do good work, and I just like to be organized. I just like to have my things in order. Uh, so I ran a lot about productivity, watched a lot of videos and heard a lot of podcasts and sort of integrated it into my worldview very easily. Uh, I mean, the Bible talks a lot about work and responsibility mm-hmm. and to avoid laziness and to, yeah, to just work for the glory of God. So to me, it was very easy to integrate productivity into my worldview, mm-hmm. but I, when I had conversations with friends and they were struggling to uh, keep up with their homework at school or with their work tasks at work or their calendars or church responsibilities, I realized that people were not looking at their work and then productivity as something that had to do anything with God. So I pitched the book to an, an, a publisher and they liked it. So I started writing it and it morphed, like, it was very interesting. When I started the book, I had a very clear idea of what I thought it would. Be. Uh, I was very, like, zealous. Is that a word in, mm-hmm. in, 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 yeah. in English? I <laughs> just like very like excited about just sharing this, like God wants us to work for their glory and you should stop being lazy and <laughs> things like that. I was like very, yeah energetic in that way. It was sorrowful weird at some point. Um, <laughs> but when I was running, God started shaping this and showing me how the gospel of Jesus um, talked to all these things and showed me that what we needed was grace and a true understanding of work of productivity and the gospel and how it all fit together. So that would encourage us to work gladly for the glory of God. So basically the main idea of the book is that productivity rightly seen is just trying to use whatever resources God has given you, your time, your energy, your attention for the glory of God in the best way you can, in the best way you can, not looking at the neighbor see what they're doing, but in the best of your abilities for the glory of God and the good of others. And that's that's the main message of the book, that if you're a Christian, you should care about using your time, your attention, your energy for the glory of God, and if you're a Christian, you have everything you need in Jesus Christ to be able to do that in freedom, not being stressed out, not being scared, not being apathetic, uh, but just being joyful for the glory of God and the good of others. So that's sort of the main message of the book. Okay. So I guess that's kind of the
0: positive side of being productive (laughs) and, and, you know, getting on top of everything you've got to do. suppose the negative side of that the flip side of productivity potentially is overwhelm exhaustion burnout when you've got sort of so many things you're so busy juggling Um, I I guess lots of people might resonate with this that you feel perhaps like you're surviving rather than thriving because you've got so much to do so that's what I'd really like to spend a bit of time talking about now you know how do we go more to the side that you're clearly talking about, being really productive and using our time well and, and having grace in all of that, rather than taking on so much stuff and just feeling totally overwhelmed that we just don't even know where to start. So I suppose one of the questions that I have for you, Anna, is what does a life that's on, like on the verge of burnout look like? How can we spot some of those warning signs in our own lives or perhaps in, in the lives of those around us? Yeah.
1: Well, burnout is a word that in the recent years has been used by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So I think everyone will have their own idea what burnout means. But it is actually a scientific term and it's actually something that is being studied by psychologists and it has a very concrete like, definition for it. So like in the technical terms, burnout is this phenomenon that, of course, that that occurs due to intra-relational stress in the workplace. It's mostly studied within the workplace, although I think we could all agree that s- symptoms related to burnout occur in church, at the home. So I don't think we can just isolate it there, but in the science, they do. Um, and it's characterized by by three three things. I have it written the, here because I don't want the scientists to be mad at me. Um, <laughs> it's and it's, it's characterized by three dimensions, overwhelming exhaustion, cynicism, and detachment, and underperformance. So it's not only about being overworked and exhausted, although it is one of the important dimensions, but it's also characterized by just detachment. You stop caring about your work, you start becoming cynic about it. And also you start to underperform things you could do in a good way. You stop being able to do them. So. That's sort of what burnout looks like. And as far as what causes burnout, scientists have identified six things that if they're not properly um, balanced, you could say, uh, are contributing to work, to to burnout, and a lot of them, unfortunately, we have little to no control over because they're related to our working environment. So for example, we have workload. We can have some control over workload. We can say no, uh, we can set up boundaries, but to be honest, a lot of us, we don't feel like we have a lot of control of, about the workload we have. We have actually another, another factory's control, how much of control you feel you have over the amount of work you do, the kind of work you do, how you work, what times you work and stuff. Um, affirmation, if you feel you're burned in your work, you're recognized by the things you do, a community, you have a good community in your work, justice, um, if you perceive that you are getting what you deserve in your work or not, and values, if you feel the work you do is aligned to the things you consider important. Yeah. So these are the six factors that scientists have uh, have found that contribute to burnout. Um, people can tolerate some imbalance in some of these factors, but the more imbalanced they are, the higher up the risk we have of burnout. Um, and at first it can sound pretty discouraging to hear like, okay, you don't have, you have no control over these things. But I think first it, it is good for those of us that have some authority in workplaces to be aware of this thing so we can make changes and serve our employees, our partners better. So that's one thing. And the other thing is we as employees, we might not have control over all of them, but we might might have some control over some aspects of them. And I think one of the most important things we can take care of is, is workload. And I think this is relevant for people even that don't work necessarily in an office or things like that, because this need to always be doing things is something that I think we can all relate to. Um, I think one of the things that is very common among professionals, students, working moms, at home moms, is that desire to always be doing more. And this realization came to me when I was reading uh, an article about the amount of time women spent doing household chores. And they were comparing today, where we have all this technology that helps us to be more efficient at doing housework to uh, maybe in the 20th and 19th century with when women didn't have all these appliances and stuff. Um, and it turned out that women now spend more time doing chores than before. And like, how is that even possible? <laughs> but I do believe that we always are looking. For more and more and more, I say that our work rightly give us this sense of accomplishment of like we are useful, and I think this speaks to how God made us to be. I I, I mean Adam and Eve, they were perfect in every way; they were in a perfect place, and God still called them to subdue the earth, to work the land, to take care of the animals. So we were made to to little to reflect God character and image through our work, but we are also made to rest. Um, and we, when we don't put those boundaries, it is very easy for us to just feel up and fill up and fill up the work. So I think it is very telling that God and one of his commandments, uh, tells us to rest. And just to stop whatever we're doing. And it's not saying, oh, if you finish all your chores, if you finish all the things you have to do, and then you can rest. No, it's like, okay, the day to rest and you just leave everything and you just rest. And it was also very telling that God made us creatures that need to spend one third of their lives unconscious (laughs) to be able to function. (laughs) That is to me so telling. So it's like. You you could starve yourself to death, you could refuse to eat, you could refuse to drink, but if you refuse to sleep, your body will make you sleep, (laughs) whether you want it or not. God made us with this need, very deep need to just rest. And I think we as Christians, we can do that well, we can do that voluntarily. We can do that as worship to God, just surrendering and telling God, I know you're taking care of my family, of my business, of my church, I can just surrender through sleep, and I'll do it with joy. Or we can make a fit, <laughs> we can throw a tantrum and say, I don't want to sleep. I want to stay awake another hour, another hour, just because I need to take care of this and I need to take care of that. Um, and we don't see uh, there's pride in it. And we can disguise this a lot of the time with piety, like, oh, I want to serve my family, I want to do my work well, I want to, I don't know whatever but a lot of the time it's just pride it's just like oh i need to do this because if not everything will fall apart so yeah this these are just some things i've thought about through the years about work and rest you're listening to unapologetic from Premier unbelievable
0: So I think it's really interesting what you're saying about pride, but I think there probably are some seasons in our life or or particular people at a particular time where actually this physical rest may not be as readily available. For example, a single parent who's working a full time job, whose child is a terrible sleeper for whatever reason. I mean, what do you think Sabbath looks like in these contexts? Because it's probably not going to be a day off every week and it's probably not going to be lots of sleep. Um, so how do we, what, what does that look like and how do how do we kind of support people like that in those contexts, do you think?
1: Definitely. I think this is why in my definition of productivity, I use the phrase in the best way you can. Um, and that is the key. Like there are, of course, seasons in life that sleep is lacking, that there are uh, deadlines to be met, that there are needs to to be served. So that, that sleep and rest are, 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 is few. So that is definitely the case. So we need to stop and think, okay, in this season with these resources I have, with these responsibilities I have, am I doing the best I can to rest? And of course, and that might mean that I need to, okay, while I'm taking care of small child, I'm going to give up on this ministry at church because uh, yeah, I need to take care of this child. And as a mother, this is my priority. So probably this means that I have to take fewer responsibilities in other areas of my life. Or this probably means that my sleep schedule is not going to look uh, like uh, it did before when I was when I didn't have any children. So I have to make adjustments there. So yeah, of course, there's always the need of wisdom and not to be prescriptive about things. The Bible is not prescriptive prescriptive about like i'm not gonna tell people oh, you need to see these some excited amount of hours and these some excited amount of ways you need to re- rest exactly this amount of time every week uh, because that's not realistic and that's not what god is calling us to do i think god is calling us to a lack of wisdom and if we are sensing that for whatever reason in family life and church life in work life we are in a particularly demanding season um way to stop and ask God for wisdom and tell him, okay, I do know that you're calling me to be a doctor and do this residency that is going to take a, a lot of my nights, or I'm going to go t- into this mission trip that is going to be very exhausting, or I'm going to take care of this little kid, um, and that's going to mean fewer rest, but God, how can I provide the energy my body needs? What other things do I have to let go to be able to do this thing you're calling me to do in the best way I can. So I think we can, we can, of course, do that. And the other thing too, um, we live in a very individualistic uh, society and, and and time. I think we are encouraged over and over and over to just uh, strive on our own and we can reach for the stars in this like very, you can do this instead of we can do this. Um, So remembering that we're part of a community and that we as Christians are called to uh, take the burdens of of the other and and just like reaching out to ask for help, reaching out to offer help, that is very important too. You mentioned
0: earlier that you don't want to upset the scientists. I mean, your background is (laughs) in science. So what does cognitive science tell us about our limitations as human beings? Because there's some really interesting things in there, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been studying cognitive science for a while now. Um, and and every time I read a chapter or something, I'm like, oh, I need to write a, a, a an article or something about this from a Christian perspective. For example, I did one on the science of sleep. Very interesting. Uh, I also did one on our... Uh, how did named it? How did I name it? I do not remember our fallen rationality bank on, <laughs> on the biases. So we have cognitive biases and how our brain, like in the way it's built to get to answers quickly, we, we fall into error. So being aware of those, uh, tendencies help us to just have a second and just question the immediate thought we have. Um, another thing is about memory. Uh, our memory is so, so <laughs> so fragile. and and we need to be aware of that, too. And there's all sorts of limitations in our minds that we don't we sometimes't do think about. and we i I think sometimes we we are quick to jump into conclusions that, for example, if I'm working on an article, I'm a writer and so I'm re- working on a article, and I just I just can't. I just feel like I cannot put words off the page. And and, and I, I beat myself about it because why are you being lazy? I immediately think about Proverbs and all the admonitions we have in the scriptures about laziness and work ethic and stuff instead of pausing and, and thinking, okay, is this because I'm being sinful or is this because I'm just human and yesterday my kid was up all night and I wasn't able to speak? because I was serving him as I, as God called me to do. And now my brain is all fuzzy and I might not be able to write today. I might be able to clean. I might be able to rest and sleep, catch up on on the sleep I didn't have last night, instead of just jumping to the conclusion of, oh, I'm being sinful, I'm being lazy, I'm not being responsible. So being aware of our, uh, just like our body, like our physical self has limitations, our mind, it has limitations too. Of course, that many of those limitations are directly linked to our bodies. That's another <laughs> topic for another day. Uh, but we, we need to be aware of them so we don't jump to the conclusion that we have to repent and we start beating ourselves about things that are very natural for us. Right? We're human and we just need to stop, take a step back and glorify God with our rest instead of our work in that moment.
0: And so how do you think we, in a godly way, put those boundaries in place to make sure that we're not exceeding the limits that actually our
1: brain has? I always recommend sorting with prayer. God promised to give us wisdom. So um, so we need to start there because this thing of the productive life, like the practical side, practical theology, we can call it, it is all about wisdom. There are not very specific rules in the Bible of of when to work, how much to work, where to work, um, and where to rest, exactly how, and things like that. So we need to be seeking constantly for wisdom, and it's not going to be one size fits all, and it's not going to be one thing, one way for the rest of our lives. Our lives come in seasons. So we need to constantly be asking God for wisdom to help us make these decisions that we can we can start by trial and error. I, I always recommend, okay, go to the science, go listen to our podcast and <laughs> <laughs> see what your body generally needs, because there are parameters. We know, like we know most people need to sleep like seven and a half to nine hours every night, and it varies by age and, and things like that. But most of us, seven to nine hours is, is best. Um, so start there. You need to sleep that amount of time. What changes can you make to your routine so you are allowing your body that time? Um, we know from the Bible and actually from science that the having a day of rest, like a fully just disconnecting from work and responsibilities is good. It doesn't have to be on a Saturday. It doesn't have to be like you don't do anything at all. But it is good to have this day of just stopping and and enjoying your time with your family and your find yourself. So, okay. How can you make that happen? If it's are not going to be a Saturday, what other day if we can't be, uh, what are you going to do during that time? What are you going to do to avoid, uh, the rest traps that are not actually rest, like Netflix is spending the whole time on sure. social media and things like that. Um, so we can start, but by, by this basic uh, things, science also teaches us about health, uh, oh, healthy eating. Healthy drinking, exercise. How are we making room in our lives for all those basic things? And I think one of the main problem is that all these things sound so basic. Like, oh yes, I need to sleep. Oh yes, I need to drink water and exercise and, and have some light <laughs> that is not from a computer in my face uh, a little bit of the during the day. Just stay up and uh, step up into the sun. Um, and we think. This is like, ah, so Mm -hmm. basic that it's not going to make any difference. So we don't do it. But when we stop and say, okay, I'm going to try to honor God by taking care of my body in these very basic matters, we see that it actually makes a ton of difference. So. After you do the basic things, you can start experimenting. Okay, I think I don't need nine hours. I can go by with eight or seven. Or, oh, Saturday didn't work for me because my family does whatever. Or for example, for most people, the day of rest tends to be Sunday. We are a pastoral family that doesn't work for us. Precious, <laughs> don't rest on Sunday. So we need to look for right another day to rest. And, and you can experiment. Um, and the last thing I would say is ask for help. Again, you don't need to do this on your own. Ask for people around you to, to tell you, what do you think I need? Like, where, where do you see I am lacking in taking care of my body? Or, Hey, could you help me with the kids like one day a week? So I can go to a class or something. We can just reach out to people and we might get a no, but we might get a yes too. So we can try again and find that community we need to help each other. And actually you can. Start that community by offering help to others. Like you see a person is tired. Hey, how can I help? Not only by praying. Can I go to your house? Can I help you you with a meal by cleaning up? And I know that in the UK, this might be very weird. (laughs) In Latin America, (laughs) this is more common. But I don't know how you guys in your culture with your personalities can just reach out to each other to carry each other's burden. Yeah. You mentioned that
0: actually resting when it's rest time, not sort of flicking through social media or Netflix or things like that. Well, I mean, there's obviously not a biblical precedent in some sense for technology (laughs) because it didn't exist in the Bible. But how do we, in a kind of godly way, try and master technology instead of feeling like it's mastering us? Because it's surely a contributing factor to those feelings of overwhelm and burnout, isn't it? I
1: think... That concept of of being mastered, I think that's the (laughs) the biblical passage we need to go to to remember ourselves, that we need to put boundaries into technology because these devices are created to just grab us and never letting us go. Actually, right now I'm doing a February without social media and almost 800 people join me from my online community. We have a telegram group in which no, none of us during the whole month of February is using social media because we're taking that step back and trying to figure out what are we using technology for and how we can use it better. Um, first of all, we need to think about it because this is something so prevalent, every, something that everyone does. Everyone has a phone, everyone has Instagram, Twitter, now TikTok, YouTube, all of these tools, and we just go with the flow. And we don't understand, we don't see that when we, we go with the flow, we end up going with the flow of the social media companies and their flow is making money for themselves by keeping us hooked to these devices. So we need to stop and actually think about it and, and think about how we're using these tools and actually use them as tools, because this is something people always say. Like, Bo, social media is just a tool. You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. Well, yeah, my hammer is not beeping all day, just trying to grab my attention. I'm not gonna just take my hammer and put on some nails on the wall just because I'm bored. So if we are saying social media is a tool. We need to use it as a tool. And for us to be able to use it as a tool, we need to know what we're trying to build. So just stepping back and asking those questions. For example, for me as a writer, social media is all about connecting with my audience and some might be tempted to fall into the trap of saying, oh, you're a writer, you're a communicator, you want to build this online community, you need to be online all day. But I, I say, no, you don't have to be, I don't have to be. If I want to be a good writer, a good thinker, I need to have the space to actually read and think and write. So I need to have space away from social media to be able to build something that I can later cha- share with my audience. So I have special social media days in which I go in and I share the stuff. I explicitly want to share. I'm not just like, oh, when am I going to post today? Oh, when I'm going to go on today? Oh, at home, how many times I'm going to be flicking through, uh, through Instagram. No, I just have a plan. I just have a goal. So I use Instagram and Twitter for that specific goal. So we're stepping back and embracing the fact that okay these things are made to be addictive my psychology is fragile and i need to uh, to understand and and be aware of that and erase that reality stop trying to pretend that it's not affecting me and do something about it put boundaries in place and these boundaries can look very different from different people um i know people that are just deciding that i'm gonna just on on Instagram on Fridays and Sundays or whatever that's enough but for most of us we need to be a little bit more aggressive and me personally I delete every app I'm not using that day I have Instagram days I call them so Fridays and 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 Sundays are my Instagram days and the rest of the week the app is not there because I want to be tempted anyway to just waste my th- time there so I've, I've heard of people that give up their passwords or use apps that are blocking of these uh, these platforms and stuff. And for some people, this might sound dramatic, but when we stop and think of the amount of money and brain power that is being invested in making these technologies addictive for us to be there and spend our attention and for them to make money, we start thinking, okay, (laughs) we might be a little bit aggressive too, so yeah it's very exciting to see all these people in our challenge stepping back and reflecting on oh my gosh I didn't realize the the power that these platforms had over me and and starting to make change so yeah we're very excited about that
0: thank you for joining us on unapologetic with me Ruth Jackson as always you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show And please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk, or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next time.
1: You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.